0: Right, uh, so yep. If you want to make sure you have one of those, and in a moment here, I'll go ahead and begin our time with prayer, and then we can uh, talk about our study for the morning. Let's go ahead and pray, Father. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you that we can come together once again with your church, gathered together as fellow believers around your word to study and to listen what you have told us and what you have written down, what you have uh, set above all other things, what you have set above all wisdom. Uh, above all ideas above all moral standards uh, above all instructions for life you have set your word and you have told us about yourself and you have told us about your son and we look forward to studying about him and learning about him this morning we pray that you would give us the grace to understand that you would help us to be uh, fully informed about him and to help us to love and to worship him with all our hearts we pray all this in his name amen Okay, so uh, as you can see on our uh, handout, we are taking a little bit of a detour this morning, and for next week as well, it should be a couple of weeks to cover this. We we, uh, we will come back in the new year and talk a little bit more about government. Um, government and the Christian life is what we've been talking about in Sunday School for a while, and we want to get to the subject of what Christians are supposed to do or uh, allowed to do or sort of encouraged to do uh, in response to government and uh, as far as being involved in government, involved in politics, and uh, what you should do if the government is not to your liking or not to a biblical standard. So we will dive into that in more detail when we get back in January. The next couple of weeks, I wanted to focus on something a little bit more seasonal, uh, a little bit more uh, that has to do with what we are uh, seeing around us in the world this time of year and hopefully celebrating ourselves. And I thought there's no better way to do that than to go through what is going on theologically at this time of year in terms of the incarnation now this is a study that uh, those of you who are of youth age that we've actually gone through uh, some of this before so some might look familiar here but for most of you i think that this will be uh, a new study and just covering this overview of the incarnation of jesus christ Uh, As we talk about the incarnation of Christ, we have been looking at a lot to do with that over the past year when we've studied the gospel according to Luke. And uh, what we saw in Luke has to do with the historical events. Much commentary that Luke gives on the actual events and on what's going on. Uh, There are many prophecies Uh, and angelic messages from God about Jesus coming into the world, but they're sort of woven in between the first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Luke. They're woven in between the, uh, the events of how Jesus came into the world. If you study the early chapters of the Gospels, not just Luke, but also Matthew and John, you will find many things about how Jesus came to be the one who is in the world as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You learn in the Gospel of John about uh, who he was before he came into the world. You read about him as the word that became flesh. And this is the idea behind the word incarnation. Uh, It is the word taking on flesh. That's where that word incarnation comes from, taking on flesh and becoming like us in our humanity. Not sinful, uh, but nonetheless fully man. So this is what's happened in history. Uh, the God-man came into the world. He was God. He remained God. And then he took on a new nature as well as man. He His birth was prophesied, and it was predicted, and it was foretold to his parents, specifically to his father and his mother individually, as well as then, uh, excuse me, not to his father. Yes, to uh, his father and mother, uh, in addition to the father and mother of John the Baptist, his forerunner being foretold, and then Jesus came into the world. He was born, and as he was born, he was born in Bethlehem according to prophecy that had been given before, and then he was announced to the world. And then he grew up, and he's doing all the things that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. Well, uh, I want to think about this not just from the historical side of things, but also then from the theological side. What does it mean for Jesus to exist as the God-man? What does it mean for God to come into the world, God the Son, and become the God-man? And this is what we want to talk about, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so I want to go through this, and we'll talk this morning about uh, the definition of the incarnation, and then we will see what else on our sheet that we get to. I want to give you a quote from Paul Enns that defines incarnation. Paul Enns, in the Moody Handbook of Theology, says the word incarnation means, quote, in flesh— And denotes the act whereby the eternal Son of God took to himself an additional nature, humanity, through the virgin birth. The result is that Christ remains forever unblemished deity, which he has had from eternity past. But he also possesses true, sinless humanity in one person forever. Pretty good definition. This is what the incarnation is. Again, it means the act whereby the eternal Son of God took to himself an additional nature, humanity, through the virgin birth. The result is that Christ remains forever, unblemished deity, which he has had from eternity past, but he also possesses true, sinless humanity in one person forever. This is what it means for the word to become flesh. Now, I want to just go through what we have here. First of all, on your outline, the incarnation defined, the incarnation Defined. What does it mean? What is the incarnation about? First of all, Christ is one person. Christ is one person. Uh, One of the errors that, uh, well, really heresies of the early church that we'll talk about later is to say that Christ was two persons and to say that he is a a person as God and a person as man. This is not the case. Christ is one person. He is always spoken of as one person. Um, He is uh, referred to. As the son of God, even by people who knew him as a man. For example, he is called the son of God uh, in, by Nathaniel, John one forty nine. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So to be the son of God is not against the idea of being man. He is directly referred to in his person as this, one person. Uh, Matthew 16.16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So there is simply, when he becomes man, he is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. He is never referred to as uh, as the God Jesus or the man Jesus in the sense of isolating one over the other as if they are two different people. But he is simply referred to as Jesus. And he possesses the full attributes of both God and man. He also has two natures. He has two natures. Uh, he is both fully God and fully man, both fully God and fully man. So we will go through a, a few scriptures here that talk about this. Um, when you think about Jesus being fully God, what are the places that you would go to to demonstrate to someone that Jesus is not just man, but that he is also divine and he is also God, that he, that he possesses the fullness of deity? Where would you go for that? First chapter of the Gospel of John. Okay, great. Let's look there. Any verses in particular? Okay, the first verse, great place to start in more than one way. Yes, so John uh, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, uh, clearly an allusion to what place in the Bible. Genesis, Genesis 1, one. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on, John says in John 1.3, all things came into being through him. Who is that? Through the word. So in verse 1 of John 1, you have, uh, you have two interesting things going on in the second and the third clause. The word was with God, and then the word was God. So what you have here is a distinction in the persons, and yet a unity of essence, The word was God this word uh, that was in the beginning was God at that time already he was God and yet it says that he was with God which again demonstrates a distinction that there are two persons here in view Uh, He is spoken of, by the way, as the creator. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who is it who created all things? The Bible is very clear. God created all things. So if this word were not God, he could not have created all things. He is also the life giver. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So here you have the word who was in the beginning with God, one essence with God but a distinct person as as we will see not only called the word but also the son so he is fully God Uh, he is God before his earthly life he's God before his earthly life in the beginning even before the incarnation occurred long before this was the case down in John chapter 1 verse 14 verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth and then verse 18 says no one has seen god at any time the only begotten god who is in the bosom of the father he has explained him in a reference here to this word who became flesh he is the only begotten god this uh, begotten language by the way shows up again where john 3 16 john 3 16 which we know god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son uh, we're referring here to the same person jesus christ he is the only begotten god is who this refers to he is the one who is in the bosom of the father and he has explained him but He is referred to here as the God who explains God. So again, his nature is one of being God. He is not merely a representative of God, not merely a partial picture, not just a messenger, but he is actually God. He's referred to again here in distinction from God the Father and yet as of the same essence divine as God the Father. So he is fully God before, even before his earthly life. Where else would you go if you're trying to show this, that Jesus is God, that he is God? Where would you go? What's that? Hebrews 1, okay. Hebrews 1, yeah, any, uh, any verse in particular you're thinking? Verse 8, yeah, and what does it say? Do you have it there? Yeah, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Strong statement, isn't it? Yeah. Good, where else would you go? Colossians 1.19, okay. Do you have that there to read? Yeah, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Yes, so these are strong statements about him, aren't they? They are very strong statements. Uh, so he is God. The things that are spoken of in Colossians 1 as well uh, are, are uh, powerful in terms of what he does. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Uh, all things were created through him. The similar kinds of statements to John chapter 1. So yes, uh, the Bible is not silent about that. Jesus Christ, the word became flesh, was in the beginning with God as the word, and was himself God. This doesn't speak about the third person of the Trinity, of course, uh, the Holy Spirit. But it does demonstrate that there is one God with multiple persons as part of this, uh, what we know from other scriptures to be a triune God. So he is God before his earthly life. He is both God and man during his earthly life. So when he comes into the world, he comes as God, he remains as God, and he... ...then becomes man as well. So John 8, 58 is listed here. If you, uh, if you turn over there, so you can see what's going on. John eight fifty eight. 58. Uh, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is arguing with the Jews, with the leaders. And he says, uh, they say in verse 53, "...Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be?" Jesus answered, "...If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing." It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews have a question, because Abraham was born and lived how long before Christ? A couple thousand years. So they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, and then what do you expect him to say? What what would be the natural argument that you might make? The next two words. I was there. Yeah, before Abraham was born, I was there. I was before Abraham. That's what you might expect if you're trying to prove, yeah, I've been around for this long. I existed before Abraham. Well, he says that wrapped up in the statement, but he says more in the way that he puts it. He says, before Abraham was born, what? I am. I am. This is a reference to what part of the Old Testament? Exodus, yes. And when the Lord was encountering Moses in the burning bush, and he says, I am who I am. Tell, tell the Hebrews, I am has sent you. This is who I am. Uh, I am who I am. And it is sort of a derivative version of that phrase, I am, uh, that became the name that he was known by to Israel, Yahweh or the Lord or Jehovah. So he says, I am, which then again indicates not only that he was at that time and that he is at the time of Jesus' uh, life on earth, But also that he has always existed that he is the self-existent one and that he is that same god that moses saw in the burning bush he is the same one the one that traveled with israel in the wilderness through his glory being with them uh, the one who was their god throughout all of the old testament and the one who created all things this is the claim that jesus is making And they understand what he's saying here in verse 59. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones to throw at him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. Because he, being a man, uh, as they put it, made himself equal with God. Of course, we know that he, being a man, already was intrinsically equal with God. Because he is God. God the Son. So during his earthly life, he is both... God and man. And then he is also both God and man still after his resurrection. After his resurrection. John chapter 20. There is an encounter that Thomas, that Jesus has with Thomas. And what does he say to him? Uh, He tells Thomas in verse 27 of John 20. Reach here with your finger, See my hands. Reach here with your hand. Put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him... You guys know the phrase? My Lord and what? My God. My Lord and my God. Now, in scripture, people who are not God are very quick to disavow statements like that. The angels in the book of Revelation, when someone falls down before them, uh, he, he tells them, get up. I'm just a servant of the Lord like you. This is not the kind of response that Jesus gives. Jesus instead of saying uh, get up. I'm You know you're wrong about me Thomas. I'm just the Messiah. I'm just the Christ. I'm just a messenger from God or a special prophet. He doesn't say that. He allows him to worship him in this way. And he said to him because you've seen me have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. John relates to us what Jesus is telling us implicitly here. Which is that Thomas is correct. Thomas is right to say Jesus you are my Lord and my God. So he is he is a God after his resurrection but he is not just God he remains as man and in Luke 24 39 he says see my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. He doesn't have, spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he maintains flesh and bones, this physical human nature, after the resurrection as well. He doesn't sort of revert back to only being God and uh, getting rid of his human attributes. But instead, he remains fully man even after his resurrection. So he's fully God before his earthly life. Even during his earthly life as he becomes man and then he is God as well after his resurrection. Of course, this makes sense if he's God at one time, he always has to be God. But just to indicate that he never changed from being God when he came into the world. He remained God throughout because this is what God does. He cannot change from that. And this is the case even when he takes on this extra nature. Uh, Okay, questions or other uh, passages that refer to Jesus being fully God during all time and eternity past. And all the way to eternity future. Any other thoughts or questions about that? Yeah, Patrick. So it should just be God before his earthly life. And then both God and man during his earthly life. Yeah. So one, God before his earthly life. Two, both God and man during his earthly life. And then three, both God and man after his resurrection. Yeah yeah sorry, maybe a typo there. I don't know, okay, yeah, sorry about that. Thank you for clarifying that would not be good for <laughs> to uh to say that he was man before his earthly life. yeah, so thank you, okay, yeah, Kae mhm mhm-. Yeah, Philippians 2, yeah, we can talk about that now. Um, Let me make sure, no, no, there is a, uh, let me make sure, let's see. Um, You know, let me, we can go ahead and talk about that because it will, I'll get to that at some point, but I'd I'd just as soon talk about it now. So Philippians 2, if you want to turn there. Uh, Philippians 2 it's uh, it's referring to a passage that we sometimes refer to as the uh, kenosis passage maybe you've heard that term before it's just the Greek language and it refers to um, emptying because the passage in Philippians 2 6 says that Christ emptied himself so it is helpful to um, lead up to it just to get the context Philippians 2 therefore if there's any encouragement in Christ if there's any consolation of love if there's any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and compassion Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So humility of mind is what he is exhorting them to when it comes to talking about Jesus. He says, have this attitude in yourselves Which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Alright, so let's break it into three parts. One is verse 5, and then verses 6 and 7, and then verse 8. So verse 5 is the instruction to have the attitude of Christ. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 refer to the incarnation and then verse 8 refers to what Jesus did uh, according to his original plan, but nonetheless what he did while he was actually on the earth as a man. So the attitude in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in him. What is that attitude? Well, verse 6 says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but Emptying himself, so that is the question. It is what does it mean when it says that he emptied himself um, over against regarding equality with God a thing to be grasped. So some have come here and said, well, does this mean that Jesus then no longer was equal with God? Well, in a certain sense, yes. In a certain sense, he did not uh, did not experience equality with God. But it is not in an ontological sense that Jesus was not equal with God. What I mean is that it's not in who Jesus is that he stopped experiencing equality with God. He remained as God. And it says here he existed in the form of God. That was the starting point. That didn't change. But something happened that caused him that in some way to no longer have something that's equal with what God experiences and that is that Jesus took on the form of a bond and was made in the likeness of men this was for someone who is the eternal God um, it is a step of humbling himself because to come into the world and to take on even in just his humanity without his deity changing in any way and without his divine attributes changing in any way to take on human flesh and to come into the world and to go through all of the, the, uh, the experiences that man does over against the exalted God. Uh, this was a humiliation, a humbling of himself. So what this is referring to here is he exists in the form of God. It does not say that the form of God, that, that his being in the form of God changes. But what he does is he takes also the form of a bondservant and he's made in the likeness of men. So the emptying is um, an addition. He empties himself by taking on an additional nature and merely the act of God condescending to come from heaven into the world. It doesn't change who Jesus is as God, but it does change the experience because it adds this additional experience of him actually being in the world as as someone who is embodied. So when he emptied himself, it's not referring to, um, you know, he's no longer God And he switches from God to man. Um, Some people say that he uh, would lose the use of certain attributes or even the independent use of his attributes. I want to argue against each of those points. Uh, One would be that to say that he would lose divine attributes would mean that he's no longer God. So if you are God and you, uh, you no longer possess certain attributes of God, certain things that are true about God, then you're no longer God. To be God, you must remain the same. You must be unchanging. You must always be God. And to no longer have those attributes means you're not him. So this can't be the case of of what emptying means. And then also, uh, to empty himself doesn't mean to remove the independent use of his divine attributes. Because there never was such a thing in the first place. The son is never uh, independently utilizing his attributes. It's always in full concert with the father and with the spirit. So I know that that's a a common position as well for what this means. I don't think you have to go there. I think that you can just simply say that he emptied himself by being made in the likeness of men. Not by losing his deity, but by taking on something else. An additional nature that goes through then all the hardships that we go through. And uh, doesn't receive then the same praise and glory while you're on the earth from your fellow humans as you might have if you are in heaven. And uh, I'll get to that. Uh, I'll get to verse 8 here in a second. But when you see that in verse 9, it says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he says that, he is speaking of something he has already done, which is highly exalting him and giving him a certain name. Peter talks about this in Acts 2 when he says this Jesus whom you crucified God has made him both Lord and Christ he has given him the name Lord he has declared him to be the Christ powerfully by his resurrection from the dead Romans 1 tells us but then it says in the future at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and not just those who are in heaven but then those who are on earth and under the earth, everyone everywhere. So Jesus is not just going to be exalted in heaven by the angels as he was before he became man. But he also will be exalted and then every single person is going to bow before him then, uh, as the one who is Lord. So this is what's coming in contrast to the experience that he had on earth so he is exalted as god in heaven everyone worships him as the Son existing in the form of god then he comes to earth and the people here don't recognize him this is what we read in john chapter 1 and he (coughs) he empties himself from a status position in that way but then he is exalted Um, so then back to verse 8 being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross so what you have here between verses 6 and 7 First of all, and then verse 8, are two steps of humility. And that's the idea behind the passage is that Jesus humbled himself by going from fully exalted as God in the way that he was treated to then kind of equal with us in the way that he was treated because he's man on the earth. And so he's got to go through all the same kinds of things. So that was the first step of, of humility. And then from there, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So we are, the starting point is here, kind of like we are as a man. And then he humbles himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus goes from higher than we can go, which is to be exalted as God in terms of the way that he is treated, to lower than any of us will ever go, which is humbling ourselves to the point of death on a cross. So his humility is what's being spoken of here. And uh, it all consists of first taking on flesh and then as a man by going to the cross so that's the the um the idea of the passage but basically what you have is the subtraction by addition he emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men when he became two natures not just god but man that was the emptying in that he was not receiving the worship and the praise in the same way in every setting as he was before. And he humbled himself in that way. So uh, so this is the idea. This is where I would go with that. Sorry, that's probably longer or more than you're asking for there. But that's this is where I would go with that kenosis or emptying passage. Yeah, Ryan. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he says of the, that hour, no one knows, not even the Son, but only, only the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are times when Jesus as the God-man acts, uh, or at least there are things that we see that he does that are according to his deity and according to his humanity. And it is, it is the person of Jesus Christ, this, this dual nature, uh, one person, who is said to act. Like it's never, like, he doesn't say, Jesus' humanity said, no one knows the time, not even the Son, uh, it's just Jesus said that as the God Man, but in that moment, yes, as God, He knows the moment. But as Man, in some way, um, it seems like He doesn't. That's I mean, that's probably the most difficult passage out of all of them in terms of uh, of seeing that of how <coughs> excuse me He has a certain uh, lack of knowledge or lack of ability in His humanity. But I mean, Scripture does say, and we went through this in Luke uh, 2, where Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Right, so He He grew in his uh in his mental um function you know he 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 had to do that and this speaks to his real humanity so i I would even i'd say that that goes along with that as well yeah that's a good question though yeah he did obey his mom and dad yeah no you don't i mean that is that is humbling yeah maybe if uh yeah it's, it's, it's very humbling To go from (laughs) yes he's the one who created them so then he's got to turn around and and obey them and yet he did that yeah so a lot of a lot of humbling there but it doesn't get rid of who he is as god it just adds something uh extra as well okay good so let's talk about his uh his full humanity we talked about some of that as well uh, already but he is fully man he's two natures so fully god and fully man Um, uh, just a few things that indicate this and these are things that maybe are more directly in line with the time that we are uh, that we are in in terms of uh, celebrating the season of Christmas he was born he was born you can see those passages there Matthew 2:2, Luke 2:11. simply says that he was born or he was born in Bethlehem um, God as God is not born but the God man as man was born um, he had human needs he had human needs. What were some of those needs? Sleep. Yeah, he had to sleep. Got thirsty. Yep. Hungry. Thirsty, hungry, sleepy. You can sympathize with that, can't you? This is what we all have. Yeah, so he had, he had these human needs. Um, he grew from childhood to adulthood, which is um, characteristic of of people, Luke two fifty two, and then he suffered and died. I mean, there are many, many passages that talk about this, but just um, just one of these uh, that is spoken of here. So, Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. Uh, excuse me, this should be verse chapter five. Uh, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died, and he died for all. We could read Romans 6, which talks about Christ dying, and then he was raised from the dead, and he's never to die again. But uh, God always lives, and so if you are not of some other nature, in this case also, then you cannot suffer and die. He had to become man in order to do this. He would not be able to die if he did not become man, if he did not also become something other than God. And then, of course, uh, one thing that we read throughout the gospel accounts—if you—if you just read over and over, I mean, there's there's the assumption on the part of everybody. It's just very obvious that he's a man throughout the whole thing. There are everybody takes him. In fact, many people simply take him as only man. They don't take him as God at all. They may even see his amazing abilities, but they don't look at him and say, "Hey, you know, this this guy." Um, you know, this, this must be some kind of an apparition or, or it's some kind of a fake uh, person. This is, you know, this is just God, but it's not really a man. They don't say that. Um, Matthew 8, 27, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So they see him doing these things that are characteristic of God, being able to control the elements of the universe. And yet they still look and say, what kind of a man is this? So they recognize that he is man. And he seems then to be merely man to many people. Uh, Matthew 13, his sisters and his brothers are with us. Um, people would, would uh, charge him with blasphemy anytime he claimed to be the son of God because they said, you can't say that. They just assume that he is man only. Um, Isaiah 53, 2 tells us there was nothing special about his appearance. Uh, He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Jesus was not sort of a special looking person with a glow on him, you know, with a a halo or something like that. He wouldn't have uh, been easily identifiable as anybody who was anything other than just a normal man by virtue of the way that he looked. Now, obviously, when he started doing miraculous deeds and when the crowd started following him, that would have gotten people's attention. But there wasn't anything just about him as a man and his appearance that would make him, people say, oh, this guy, no, he's not really a man. He must be something else. There's nothing special about him in that way. Um, which means that most people attack the, uh, they attack the deity of Christ by simply never believing it in the first place. Or, excuse me, they attack the, the dual nature of Christ by simply saying, Jesus was a man and maybe a good man and maybe a really good man and maybe even a prophet. But if they're going to err on one side or the other, it's the unbelieving world who would largely say, this guy, he's just man. He's not really God. We wouldn't actually believe that. Uh, It's only people who would start to adhere to some form of what they would call the Christian faith who would then try to argue kind of from the opposite direction and say, well, no, we believe the Bible's passages about him being God, but there must be something that's not really true about his being man. That, That must not be the case. And that would be the angle that comes from people who are a little bit more inclined to profess Christianity. Either way, it's an error and a heresy to not have both in view. And the, uh, the dual nature then of Christ in the one person we refer to as what? What is the theological term for that? The hypostatic union. That's right, the hypostatic union. It is the union in the one person of two natures of two natures hypostatic union just make sure that you know that term that you are familiar with that term Um, and make sure that you allow for jesus to have the fullness of deity and the fullness of humanity that he is truly and fully both at the same time and that once he became man and took on flesh in his incarnation that he always will be he always will be uh, those two natures okay questions or other comments before we go on to the next section yes mm-hmm mm-hmm he chooses not to, chooses to mm-hmm mmm mm-hmm. There's just yeah. There's a certain element of that that's correct, which would be that the person. And this is where you get into nitty-gritty of trying to understand uh, what is going on in a in a person who has two natures, which uh, just mechanically is impossible for us to understand exactly how this works. But uh, maybe the best way that I that I would try to explain it would be that uh, the the natures communicate the properties uh, and and attributes. And abilities to the person of Christ, such that there are things uh, that he, in his deity, he acts upon them as in as the person of Jesus Christ. And somewhere, somewhere it goes in his uh, in his mind or in his consciousness. There is there is some way in which uh, he can, at any moment, as God and as the God Man, as Jesus Christ, who is divine know anything and everything right so he knows we will see this in the passage in Luke today he knows the thoughts of the scribes and the Pharisees he knows their thoughts Um, at the same time there are things where that is um, maybe not communicated to the person in that moment so that there might be uh, there is consciousness of all things as God but there is the lack of knowledge of all things as man and in that moment he is acting according to that so where that you know goes in i i can't really explain and i cannot uh, i can't tell you how that works but only that yes in, in one sense there is at jesus disposal as man potentially at any point the ability to act according to knowing all things because he could act according to his deity but there are there are um, times when he shows that there that he doesn't act according to his deity including when he's sleeping or when he's hungry or that kind of thing so I don't that, that probably doesn't get you far down the field on that, but um, that's about as close as I can get, Yeah, Jessica. Yeah, yeah, he could, like, he could honestly say in that moment, in his, according to his humanity, I, I don't know who that is. Does he as God at that moment? No, yes, but he's speaking according to his humanity. Now, I want to be careful and say not out of his humanity um, or, um, or something like that. There are some, there's some fine language that you have to use, but he is acting as a man in that moment. And uh, he is certainly, he exists as God in that moment, but he is doing something that is representative of an attribute of man, which is to not know everything. So there's something you might still have to learn. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, he, uh, he he follows the example of the father, right? And then uh, he also seems uh, to speak overall about the way that he is, uh, he follows the father's instructions. He does everything that the father does, um, or everything the father tells him to do, but he, he is like him. And he, he follows after him. Um, I, I do love this while we're here in John 5. I just This passage is uh, one of my favorites. Down in uh, verse 22. And then in, in particular to 23. For not even the father judges anyone. But he has given all judgment to the son. Why? So that all will honor the son. Even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son. Does not honor the father who sent him. Uh, there is a. A comment on this by the Puritan John Owen who says that to, uh, to honor the Son as we ought to honor the Father is that which makes us Christians. To honor the Son as we ought to honor the Father. which I like the way that he puts that because it's not that to honor the Son as we do honor the Father because we don't honor the Father in the right way necessarily. But what, is it, uh, what makes someone a Christian? Well, in one, in one sense it is to honor Jesus Christ as you should honor God the Father, and to hold him in that same degree of exaltation. So this is what he's saying here, uh, that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Okay, uh, anything else on, uh, on the uh, um, two natures, the dual nature, the one person of Jesus Christ? Yeah, Philip. Yeah, I think I think it still is there. Yeah, the um, the did Jesus has the Son always submitted to the Father is is the question. Um, yeah, at at the risk of saying I don't know, um, I'm still working through exactly where I would fall on that. Um, there are there are places that speak about the Son submitting to the Father, and it seems like it might be intrinsic to who He is. I mean, just by virtue of being the Son. Um, there are arguments from more of a theological side which would say no that's that's not possible for him to do that um or there's nothing stated about that in the scripture about what that was like before beforehand in terms of submission um and so yeah unfortunately i i don't know and i don't think that we i could definitely say i don't know that we have a you know a view that we're we all have to adhere to uh as, as a church but yeah that's something i'm still sorting that out there are a lot of people that I deeply respect on both sides of that argument. So, still trying to figure out exactly where I'm at on that. Yeah, uh, Jesse. Right, right, yep, if there's, yeah, so that, that there, there are lots of logical arguments like that, right, like you, there must be someone directing things, and um, does the nature, does, does the idea of son imply that there is submission intrinsically to that, or is that just more of a, uh, that we're just in, uh, exporting an idea from what sons and fathers are like in this world back into uh, divine on, uh, ontology, so uh, yes, it, it is a, uh, yes, there is an ongoing debate, it has been for, well, for a long time but it's been revived in the last few years and and uh that's not something that i've been able to to come to a like i'm planting my stake in the ground on that yet so, 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 so. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the, that's the argument, which is that, yes, yeah, so Jesus, the argument is, Jesus. So, I mean, the question is, did Jesus only begin submitting to the Father when he became the God-man, or has it always been the case that the Son exists in a subordinate role to the Father, whether in his being or just functionally? So that is the, that's the debate. Yeah, I don't know that, uh, that, yeah. Indirectly, the issue would be, yes, that because he was submissive, that he is not God. Not that you cannot submit uh, and still be God, because he did that once he became man. hmm Yeah, it would it would make something different about him, which would make him not the same as the Father in the way that he should be to actually be God. Yeah, yeah. So not directly the submission, but what the submission says about his about who he is. That's that's the argument there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is out there, and uh, there are very you know that you hear the phrase "good and godly men disagree about this." This would be a case where that is very much the case, um, and so. If you want to look into that, there's, there's much to be read and much to be studied about that issue. Um, we do know that Jesus was sent into the world and that he willingly chose to do that. And so he, uh, he went at the Father's behest but also of his own will into the world and he became man. And the Philippians 2 passage indicates that he humbled himself. It's not just that he was humbled by God But he humbled himself and then uh, became man as a result of that humbling of himself. Uh, So, this is the case in his, certainly in his his earthly life, at an absolute minimum. And, and he remains human, he remains even in his exalted state, uh, he doesn't just revert back to being only God, but he still possesses the fullness of human attributes. Now, of course, Jesus having been raised from the dead, Romans 6 says, is never to die again, which means that there are things that are different about his humanity now than they were when he was on earth, just as it will be with us as well. He was. He died. There was a time when he was mortal. That is no longer the case. So his humanity is no longer a mortal or a or a a perishable humanity, but it is an imperishable one. Just as it will be for all believers when they're raised from the dead. Uh, Okay. So that's the definition of the incarnation. We will come back next time and talk uh, about the rest of this here, and hopefully this will be uh, some good uh, informing for you, and will equip you as you're thinking about who Jesus is at this time of year. Might even be some good Uh, fodder for conversation to help people to start to think about him who wouldn't normally do that and to point them toward faith in him as the god man and as the savior let's pray together god thank you for sending jesus into the world (coughs) thank you that uh, that you had this brilliantly devised plan for him to become the god man and for him to to come and to do all the things that humanity enables him to do we thank you for all that he has done for us we praise you for Uh, for showing us what you're like through your son who is on the earth and who has now ascended to heaven and one day will come again and may we worship him and honor him just as we should honor you we pray these things in his name amen